My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Today's topic is the ninth principle. Each obsessive thought and each disordered eating behavior is a thread that, if followed, can lead us back to our own truth. So if we think about the obsessive thought and the disordered eating as a red flag to warn us that something is up, something is happening that we're not tuning into with ourselves. If I can remember when I was when I was recovering, if I could remember that this isn't really, it's not about what it looks like it's about. So when I was, before I got clean and sober, I wasn't drinking because I was really thirsty. And when I had my eating disorder, I wasn't really eating because I was hungry. I was eating for reasons other than hunger. And I was drinking alcoholically because I couldn't stand to go through any sort of unhappiness or uh, feeling like I wasn't in some sort of control or I don't, you know, it doesn't sound very, it doesn't sound like that's even a thing that you would drink alcoholically to stay in control. But that's how I felt. I felt like if I chose to drink or I chose to eat Um, compulsively, then I was somehow in control of my feelings. Of course, that is not true. But one of the things is that I realized that a lot of times I was eating over that I wasn't doing what my heart and soul really wanted me to do. I wasn't growing or changing or becoming conscious. I wasn't setting limits with people. I didn't know what boundaries were. I never set a boundary with anyone. And if I did, I would just have to move, you know, to another town or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't, I didn't know how to express myself because I didn't know myself very well. And I certainly didn't know anybody else trying to recover the way that I was trying to recover. And that is without using a diet plan and without, um, well, basically just accepting myself. That's how I tried to recover, just accept everything I did and come from compassion and love and respect. I didn't know that. So I'm so excited about introducing my guest today, Barbara, and I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell you what she does and where she is at. And um, she, (laughs) um, I'm really blessed. I've known her for a long time. I've been leading groups with her for a long time. So I'll just like turn it over to her and then we'll have a talk. Thanks, Lorley. I'm so glad to be here. Um, So my name is Barbara Murphy. I'm a clinically licensed psychologist and have a private practice in Novato, California, in the North Bay from the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and I also have a nonprofit called Feet to Eat. That's F-E-A-T, Feet to Eat, um, that Laura Lee does groups with me um, mm-hmm. uh, twice a month. Yeah. What else so, do you need to know about me? I well, don't I think that's enough. Um, okay. <laughs> so 
Well, she's talking about this really wonderful group that uh, it happens every Saturday in the Bay Area, and uh, it's open to the public. It's a drop-in group, and it's a fabulous group. It's very, very low cost, and um, she is there every week, every Saturday, and then I'm there twice a month working with friends and family. But it is a wonderful um, asset to our to our whole area. I don't even know one other group like it at all. Uh, any, well, I've never even heard of another group like it at all. So it's a very unique thing, and I think it's very needed. And Barbara started that, which is so great. I've been doing it almost 14 years. Yeah. yeah. So when she was way, really much younger. <laughs> yes, so. 14 years younger. <laughs> Anyway, so how did you work with yourself or, you know, how do you lead your clients or teach your clients to work with that idea of that there is a, a truth here? And if we follow the obsessive thought or the behavior, especially the behavior we don't like, that that will lead us to that truth. So it's sort of like following... Um, like I would think, you know, before I got recovered, the worst part of me, following the worst part of me to find the best part of me. But I'm wondering how that, um, how you work with people with that. Or how did you do that for yourself with whatever? I think the question of asking oneself, you know, what is my truth, albeit an important question, Oftentimes, initially with clients and certainly with myself, the answer came in the form of an eating disorder because there was too much eating disorder in me or there's too much eating disorder in clients to be yeah. able to actually get to the essence of that of the truth of that question. Right. And so what I find in working with people is, you know, it's about first saying, oh, my behavior my behavior is showing me the way here. My behavior that's not working, my behavior that's dysfunctional or that's inappropriate or that just doesn't work, keeps having these consequences that feel bad, that behavior becomes this gold thread because it allows oneself to start to say, ah, okay, what else might be going on right now? What else is happening in me? Right. And then we have to start to look at um, two different things, two distinctions. We have to start to look at what thoughts accompany this. Right. Because the thought will be there before the behavior happens. And yet oftentimes so the thought isn't recognized in the person, you know? Even though when you ask yourself, what's my truth? Oftentimes at that point, the, the truth, and I put that with little quotations around it because it's not the truth, comes out as the eating disorder. Yes. So those- I'm just crazy. That's why I'm doing this. I'm unwilling to recover. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's why I'm doing this. So we don't get to the other. Can't get to the real truth. The right. real truth. Right. right. The second component is the feeling. You know, the feeling that's there that is generally um, uh, 
you know, attached to some sort of a, a thought that's there. So you've got right. the thought and you've got the feeling. And so when you when you have this behavior that's showing up, the behavior that gets to the point where you finally pick up the phone and call the therapist, or you finally say, I'm going to go to a group, or you recognize, I can't do this myself. I can't do this alone. I need other people to help walk me through this. I really have a problem here. This is not working. Right. Um, when you're in touch with that behavior, that's the time to be able to start to say, okay, wait, what is going on? What sort of thoughts are going through my head right now? What sort of feelings might I be feeling in my body? And sometimes the feeling isn't clear at all, but it might be, oh, I feel so tight in my chest, or yeah. oh, I notice my jaw is gripping. Yes. It can just be a sensory. My stomach hurts. Yes, my stomach yeah. hurts, you know? Right. Or, um, it can even right. be, gosh, I notice I'm making faces, laughing all the time when I not feeling that way, or I'm saying things that don't go along with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not being authentic, and I don't even know what that is even. Yes. And I think you touched on something that I think is so important, to find a group or to find people that you can actually lay this all down so that you don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. So you don't have to be you know, armored up everywhere you go. Armored up, yes. <laughs> you can say, I have a problem. And, a, you know, especially for eating disorders, it's so, there's so much shame in an eating disorder. Just, there's shame everywhere anyway for everything. But the eating disorder, like, you don't, you can't eat right. You don't know what to eat or you can't, like, control your behavior or whatever. Marion Woodman has a great line in one of her books, and I don't recall which one it was, but she says the epitome of somebody with an eating disorder is standing in front of the dairy section saying, which cottage cheese do I want, the large curd or the small curd? Oh. And standing there for 20 minutes and not knowing. And not knowing. Not knowing. The fat-free or with a little fat. Or they the, don't know right. what they desire. Right. They don't know what that truth is inside of them. Right. Yeah. And that comes from us always being on some sort of diet. Even when we're overeating, there's a diet just waiting to emerge. <laughs> you know? And it could be the diet of what kind of cottage cheese is the best one to eat if you need to lose weight? Exactly. Oh, yeah. the, whole, the whole culture of diet mentality, yes. Yes, yeah. yes. And what do you think about, you know, for me, of course, when I was struggling with my own eating disorder, I would go to these classes or I would hear somebody say, you know, write 10 things that you can do for yourself, like take a bath, go for a walk, call a friend. But in the moment when I wanted to do the behavior, whatever the behavior was, I, those things didn't really occur to me. So what do you say to people that come to you? And how did you work through that of making that leap or that buffer, getting that buffer between you and the behavior? Hmm. Oh, I think this is such a hard one. And this is, again, why it requires that you have somebody on board to help support you. Yeah. Because being able to, like, for example, um, one of the things I use a lot with clients is the timer. Because what does the timer do? It creates an intervention. 
it creates a halting for a moment. Because what are we trying to bring in with that moment of using the timer? We're trying to bring in awareness. Mm -hmm. We're trying to bring in the ability for the person to start to be able to wake up to what is really happening in that moment. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll use little things like... um, you know, trying to get people maybe to write down on their calendar, put a little tick mark, that small, little tick mark, for example, every time they purge or every time they even attempt to purge, just to start to get them involved in the process of awakening. Mm-hmm. Right. To get a little bit of time there. Or th- eating, for example. Yeah. So you're sitting there and you're eating and you don't even know what you've eaten because you're gulping it down so quickly. Can you use a timer for just a few seconds even to halt yourself? It doesn't have to be, I'm going to stop and put my fork down for three minutes because that would be way too much to ask of somebody who's just starting this process. Right. But just to take one breath. One breath. Again, the idea is moving towards more mindfulness, moving towards more awakening, Right, right. And for some, I know for me, as it, when I had an eating disorder, being in mindfulness, well, first I didn't even know what know that what the was. word meant. Didn't right. even know. Yeah. But that meant, I think, for me, staying with myself in those moments that were unbearable. And I didn't know how to do that for the law. I just had to take it this little teeniest second at a time. Well, that I think that brings up a good point when you say staying with yourself. Most people that come in that are eating disordered, first of all, won't even know what that means, staying with myself. Right. They don't know or have not heard of having a relationship with one's inner life. Oneself, right. They don't know what having an inner life even means. Right. Everything is about the external. Yeah. So. It is a slow process, generally speaking, not always, of course, but oftentimes it's a slow process. It's not linear by Mm -hmm. any means. Mm -hmm. And it's these little moments of, oh, wait, oh, yeah, I get this. I'm waking up in some way that we build on when we work therapeutically with people. And I know for myself, it was the same thing. You know, it seemed arduous at times. And yet the, the, outcome, the ability to be able to be recovered, um, the ability to be able to have a relationship with food where it's not on my mind Mm 24-7. And uh, like um, one of the dietitians that that I work with, Ronnie Benjamin, will say, you know, when a brownie's just a brownie. Yeah. It doesn't have that charge. Right. You know, it's such a relief and there's so much freedom to that. I know. It is so true. So it is worth that that work that right. the clients put into it. Right. And um, what do you think about or what have you learned about, you know, a lot of times people come into recovery and they're coming in for one reason or another. But really what happens is um, after however long they've been in therapy and maybe they're getting ready to quit therapy, um, their whole life has changed, <laughs> you know, they don't work at that same job anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't live with that same person anymore. They decided to go back to school or to quit school. So it's like the eating disorder was much more than just eating brownies. 
you know, it was a whole sea change. It can be. And I've experienced this not only in myself, but with numerous clients over the years. It can be a life transformational process. Right. It can be a paradigm shift for people. Right. You know, for the, 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 the mother or the father that drops the 14 year off, a 14 year old off at my doorstep. Yeah. And basically the idea is here, fix them. Yes. And then all of a sudden what you start to see is the whole family dynamic changes just because this child, this adolescent yeah. is doing their work and they're changing. Yes. You know, it's amazing to see what can happen with this yes. transformation. Right. Yes. And again, I think uh, it's so important for that 14-year-old to find others on the path. Hopefully other 14-year-olds, but if they don't, at least they've got you or they've got mm -hmm. some people they can talk to. Um, you know, when I work with teenagers, I know that when they get this solidly, they have it the rest of their mm -hmm. life. Yes. They don't have, you know, they don't go to college and then start starving to death or binging. They've got it. They yes. understand it. And they, then they become role models for their peers and that's others. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then we build a community, which mm -hmm. I think is so important. It's, it's crucial. Right. There's a, there's a way in an eating disordered mind that will be, I can do this myself. Yeah. I can do this myself. And um, the reality is once you start to move through the recovery process and you start to actually make changes in yourself, you see that this is a process that you cannot do with other, without others. Yes. You have to have others on board. That's right. Well, how we do it ourselves in this culture is everybody goes on a diet, and then that should fit that should fix you. And once you lose the weight, you're going to be okay. So that's a complete mm -hmm. bunch of bullshit because that doesn't that's not true. And so we're all trying to take that same idea of more control, more deprivation, more mm -hmm. <laughs> more. Um, fitting into a smaller and smaller box, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It yeah. only works when we expand, when mm -hmm. we open up And when we, when we receive others. Yeah. yeah. Rather than being uh, counter-dependent. That's right. That's <laughs> we can right. start to receive others, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then listening to that self that might be saying something different than the diet is saying. And trusting ourselves rather than the diet mm -hmm. or the diet book or the diet guru or whatever. Um, what, you know, I would take diets that I read in crazy magazines that also talked about Bigfoot had Elvis's baby. <laughs> and I'd read a diet in there and go on it the next day, expecting to have it change my life, yes. you know? Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> well, what you're speaking to, Loralee, is the de desperation. Ah, right. You know, I am so desperate yes. that maybe this diet, this diet will save my life. Everything will be fine then. If I can That's just right. follow this, I'll feel better about myself and right. everything will be fine. It's it's an act of desperation. Yeah. And yeah, people listening to this might say, oh, well, gosh, I've gone on diets and I wasn't desperate, you know? Right. Um, and, you know, I, I encourage people to 
be open to the possibility that there might be some desperation that fuels it. Just to ask oneself the question, is it possible that there is a little desperation that is fueling this need to have to go on this diet? Yes. Because as as we know, although diets don't create eating disorders, what you find is that people with eating disorders inevitably had gone on a diet. That's right. That's right. And... um, you know, and I kind of question that, that diets don't create eating disorders because I don't know anyone that's like a normal eater that would even consider going on a diet. Like they might say, well, maybe I'll eat. It seems to me that when I eat blah, 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 some food, I get a little upset stomach. So I don't think I'll do that anymore. That's a normal person. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> not an eating disorder person. And we're all affected by the culture that we live in. That's right. So you have a lot of people trying diets that maybe then they go, well, you know, that didn't work or, you know, whatever that don't necessarily become eating disorder. Yeah. But there might be some disordered eating just because of the culture that we live that in. That we live in. We're embedded in this narcissistic culture that promotes eating, eating disorders through diets. Yes. You know? And yes. that's kind of a weird way to say it. But. Well, yeah, because we're told in the same magazine how to make these yummy chocolate chip cookies, and then the next page is a diet, and then the next page is how to please your man, and then the next page is, baby, you got it all, and you can live alone forever. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> right. Yes, the mixed messages constantly. The so mixed messages. many. Don't be too thin, but have a nice booty. Mm-hmm. But don't be, you know. Constant mixed messages. Yeah. To feed on that sense of, I feel inadequate, I'm not enough. That's right. And that was a great story that you were telling about that. Oh, well, that it was in the early days of television that um, Fifth Avenue in New York decided that they really weren't getting these advertisements out to people and they weren't getting the outcome from the advertisements that they had hoped. And so they hired Freud's nephew to look at these psychologically instead. And what he pointed out is that the root in all human beings, the very root is that I am inadequate. I am not enough. And so the advertising industry feeds on that, trying to promote people feeling. The moment you turn the television on and you're opening up to the culture, what you'll get are messages about why you're not good enough, why you look wrong, why you act wrong, why you say the wrong thing, so that whatever it is that they're trying to sell you will make you that better person where you'll feel better about yourself and you'll appear better to others where you'll be more accepted. Yes, yes. And that's gone on for generations and generations And we don't even tap into that. We don't even know that. So... Isn't it, you know, so to wrap this all up with that, if you think you're in a, if you think you're going crazy, you might be in a crazy making situation. So if you follow that, that crazy making situation through, like, where did I get this idea that I'm supposed to look a certain way or be a certain thing or or eat a certain way, and you follow that, you may find a truth that says, a long time ago, somebody told me I was too fat, and I have been operating on that ever since. Mm, Yes. So follow that truth. Yes. And one thing I think is important to clarify regarding truth as we use the word truth is that, you know, in the eating disorder um, psyche, Sometimes what appears to be truth is um, 
I'm doing everything that I'm told to do. Yes. And the opposite end of that is I'm rebellious, and neither of those are our truth. Right. Being the rebel, um, being reactionary, um, is not one's truth either. So right. to be careful of that and to be mindful when you ask yourself, what's my truth? Because it really is um, more about, you know, what is real for me here that is not reactionary? What is yes. real for me? Yes. What is the, what would I do for my friend? What would what I do would for my I friend? That's for, lovely. If I had a daughter and her yes. name was Laura Lee, what would I do for her? Yes. You know, we take that out of being the rebel, like, I'm going to make you do this, or the, you have to do this because, or I'm, or I'm not going to make you, I'm, you know, all the other kids have to go to school, but you're not going to school. <laughs> you know, we don't, that's not a good parent. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. love that, though, the idea of, you know, embracing what would I do for my best friend? What would I do for my daughter, my baby? Yes. What would I do for my son? Right. How would I respond? Yes, right. in that nurturing way. Yes. Yeah. Well, we certainly, in this culture, take care, better care of our animals than we do ourselves, that's for sure. So I think that we should let ourselves be as loved as we love our friends and our family. You know, we get to be in there with them. Be in there with them. Yeah. Yes. That's lovely. So I'm so appreciative of you being here today. And uh, oh, I have one more thing. I forgot what I always ask. Um so if you thought about somebody who is out there listening to this podcast who felt like you felt when you were going through your eating disorder or your dark times of whatever they are, what would you say to that person? Mm. Well, first of all, generally that person's in a place where they don't feel understood Um um, or they don't feel like other people are going to get it, or maybe they're making too much out of it, they'll say to themselves, or I'm so bad off that I couldn't get better like other people. I'm not like them. Yeah. You know, they're usually in that, that place that feels very isolated. Yes. And, you know, uh, over the, the years, you know, gosh, I've been doing groups now since uh, January 2001, 18 <sighs> years now. Wow. Um, inevitably what happens is people walk in and at the end of the first group, they'll say, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm not alone. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm understood here. I feel like yes. people get it. Right. And so, they do because they have it too. They so I it. would encourage people then to pick up the phone and, yeah. um, or I guess nowadays people don't pick up the phone, go on the internet. We have a find, phone embedded in our brain, I think. <laughs> find a resource yes. you know people are out there that want to help support you and guide you on this journey yes um and let you know that it really is going to be okay yeah you know? yeah it is going to be okay it's be okay right yeah that's a beautiful thing to end yeah. with it's yeah. going to be okay it's going to be okay <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah thank you thank you for listening and be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>